Here we are, and it's the, yes, it's a pandemic, and you would think, no way someone's going to go on vacation, but I'm Steve Fezzik. I'm going on vacation no matter what. My real concession is it's just going to be one vacation instead of three edition. I am Elma J. Fudd, millionaire. I own a mansion and a yacht. Of the Dream Preview. All right, Fez. One of the beauties of us having the Straight Out of Vegas show is sometimes we do things there first. Sometimes we do things first here. Usually this is a deeper dive into your life, but also into sports. I think the discussion we had about your vacation on SOV was, was gold. I'm not sure how it could be any better. So what we're going to do is we're going to play those few minutes right now. And then we're going to let you have kind of a post-mortem comment, like saying, oh, okay, yeah, you know what didn't come out right was this and that. And RJ, you were live on air and you misrepresent. We'll give you every chance at rebuttal. First, let's get to the gold. You came back on Monday after your extended break. And this is how the discussion went. Here's what I'll say. When I don't do the show, you know, I get off contractually a set number of days. Now, last year, I didn't take all of those. But, you know, I didn't, I didn't take none. I took a few vacation days. I don't usually listen to the show because it scares me. It's like if something's going wrong, which, again, with you at the helm, it's not going to go very wrong. It probably won't go wrong at all. But you know how I am? I'm worried. And I think I'll just act like it's not happening and I can at least relax. But last year when I was out for vacation, the show opened up with you taking the lead. You were ready to go into the next talk, you know, first topic. And Fezzik goes, Jonas, quick question before we get started. Now, this is again, I'm gone. And I'm like, what the heck? He goes, when you go to Hawaii, do you like Waikiki or the rest of the island? <laughs> and I'm thinking, if there's anything that encompasses Steve Fezzik, I mean, I'm already a multi-millionaire. It's that he starts a show where the you know the, the guy who usually leads the show isn't there, and he figures this is my chance to finally ask Jonas about <laughs> when he vacations in Hawaii. Do you remember that? Yes, I do remember that, and I just I just. I just remember thinking to myself, nobody can relate to Steve Fezzik. Like, nobody no, well, listen, that's only half the – because even other millionaires can't because yeah. it's a whole different thing. All right, Steve, so pandemic is on. They didn't stop you from vacation. Tell us about the vacation. Well, the vacation plan was to go to Newport Beach with a backup for Carmel. Okay, so Newport Beach. Now, the backup would have been what? Like, what would have happened that would have led to the backup? If uh, too many COVID cases in so, Southern so, California. So you literally were looking. Now, what's the? How narrowly do they? Is it by county? Is it by? I mean, they don't go block by block, obviously. It's by, it's by county. And my wife's like got a, like a big like map of like how many cases are coming in. Now, so first, Jonas, here's what we got to realize. Now, this is a man that got married last weekend. <laughs> and it's not like a third marriage, you know how they be there's something you do on you know on the week. This was the guy's a young man. This is a first, this is the love of his life. He was working on Monday. Okay. He got married Saturday, right? Yes. Okay. He took Friday off, but he was working on Monday. <laughs> he didn't mention it. 
you got a wife at home who's for how long did she start having the map out is the first question from april on shut up no i'm serious so she's tracking like like a weather woman but this is different almost like carrie on homeland she's tracking on the board the cases for months about a vacation. Exactly. And she has her thresholds <laughs> for whether or not we're going to be able to go. And I got to be honest, RJ, it went from green to yellow to red on our vacation. I am Elma J. Butt, millionaire. I own a mansion and a yacht. I mean, imagine the, the, the human resources, if they had to plot how much this vacation was going to cost, if you said, okay, let's assume 20 bucks an hour even. I mean, how many hours do you think she spent on planning which, which of the very exclusive places to go based on the COVID numbers. 12 hours. I bet that's low. <laughs> did, did she scribble over your quarterback rankings to make the, <laughs> the chart? <laughs> well, no. She'd probably be like, where's Tom Brady at? We should be there. It's what probably was happening at the Fezzik house. So you were talking about it trending down. So at a certain point, you decided not to go to either. Exactly. So vacation traveling got canceled and we went and, with the... But, but, but this was based upon COVID. Yes. Now, you're, you're not 60 yet. I mean, it's just there's just this great fear. I didn't want to tell you this. I'm wearing a mask and a visor shield when I'm going out on errands now. Like a visor, like an astronaut? Yeah. Well, like the one, you know, the one, just the, the shield Welder's that covers mask. your face along with the like mask. An, like an astronaut? Yeah. So, like the dude on Annie Hall... Do you ever see Annie? Is no. His partner, Woody Allen's Annie Hall, his partner moves to L.A. and he loses weight. He's a vegetarian. And when he's driving in his convertible, he's got like an astronaut hat on because he doesn't want the sun rays. It's like that. Now, is it sealed? Is it airtight? No, no. It just comes down to like the chin. It doesn't seem like it's going to stop too much. Well, I'm wearing the mask also. I'm just saying my wife is paranoid. And she's that. I mean, you're the meal ticket. She's figuring what. I mean, what would happen? I've never seen I'm, her so concerned with my health. <laughs> now, how? Let, let's just say, not asking exact numbers, but how much? In, how many years of your income do you think you're insured for? Your, your like life insurance. So, if you, someone made a hundred thousand a year, they got a half million. They're five x. Year and a half. Well, that's the mistake. Yes. Yeah, she's not going to find another Steve Fezzik <laughs> in a year and a half. Uh, Fez, were you also, and, and I'm not trying to call you out here, but were you, but is Which also means he is. yeah is also part of the reason that you were wearing the welder's mask with the mask <laughs> because you know that all those casinos you're not allowed to go into the sports books you're not allowed in it's it's sort of a de facto disguise and you can now get action in those places you're not allowed. Now, see, this is fascinating because I heard a guy on the radio who's a real authority on the advantage play. Um like blackjack and things, and was saying there's two ways to look at it. One, you have a mask or something, you can probably hide better. But number two, there's just more scrutiny in general about what everyone's doing. So net net, he said he thought it was neutral, but go ahead. Yeah, the mask is positive. I've certainly gone into places I'm not supposed to bet and <laughs> have had no problem with recognition with the mask. Now, if we were on the pod, now this is what the podcast is pretty much. So you search for RJ Bell on any player if you want more of this. We don't usually bring this to the radio. It was too good not to, though. But, <laughs> I, you know, we should, I, for the next, after the, you know, we do our trending update, we got some sound on him once explaining the lengths that he went to, Fez, to hide his identity in Reno one weekend. 
it's very tr- I don't know if you've ever seen um, <laughs> uh, Midnight Cowboy. But it was it's kind of <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like one of those things. Let's just say that. So so you guys didn't go anywhere. OK, so you just were at the house. So let me guess. I'm R.J. Bell. We're straight out of Vegas. Very important discussion on Steve. Fe- I mean, if you listen, Fezzik is a key element to this show. What he's about inside will be endlessly fascinating. But you need to understand, because what you'll conclude is, I don't want to be on the other side of it. Whatever I do, I don't want to be on the I don't want to be with him, but I want to be on the same side as him. That is just very true. Take it from me. So this gives you just a little insight into that. Here's what I think would happen when you don't go on vacation. She's like emotionally very upset, but she's thinking initially, this is the best decision. But then it's a couple of days goes by and it's like, you know, this is like a normal week. And I'm guessing her mood swung drastically. Yeah, there were some, there <laughs> yeah. were certainly some swings. You know, it's remarkable. <laughs> some sweat, like mul- multiple, so like a roller coaster almost. You would think like losing at Monopoly or losing like at a poker freeze out wouldn't wouldn't matter to someone with no money on the line. But uh, my wife's competitive, and so she wasn't happy she was losing the uh, poker match, not just to me, but to little Johnny. So she was thinking perhaps that she could beat you at poker. She was. Well, maybe you should play a game of poker once, and if you win, she signs the the post nuptial agreement, and if if she wins, you give her a hundred k or something. I'm not going there. <laughs> I mean, if she if she thinks she can win, because I mean, let's be honest, your blood pressure would go way down if you had that. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> Any closing questions? No, Jones. I got it all. I got everything I needed. Oh. I mean, listen, I can die happy now. I mean, the fact that we get to do this on national radio, I mean, this is it. So, Steve, you know, you can directly respond to things. You can kind of just give your, you know, reiterate your overview. But a lot of people out there are feeling a cross between, you know something? If this guy's so good at betting, he's able to have a vacation even during a pandemic, even, you know— staycation, whatever you want to call it. And others are saying, can you believe that they had a board like in the wire up trying to figure out where to go? And, 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 and then they're thinking about the plight of their family. And let's be candid, a lot of good people. And that's the thing. There's certain times you could make the case that an earnest, hardworking person should, is going to do fine. And if you're not doing well, there's some blame. Then there's other times where good, earnest people are struggling. And, and I think it's fair to say this is one of those times. What do you say to that? I don't know if I have a response here. I mean, I'm like, uh, I'm grilling lobster. And I'm going and playing <laughs> tennis with little Johnny at dusk. Uh, and you're right. I mean, it's a tough time for a whole lot of people, a whole lot of people out of work. You ever think maybe just have a fish, you know, like maybe go to Long John Silver's and donate some money to charity? Oh, Long John Silver's, I, I think I'd <laughs> fast. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you bring up a great point. This, um, so how, how is your response going to vary now upon that great point being brought up? I don't know if my response is, is how can I make the world a better place? Let me ponder it. Well, let, let me give you a hint. Charity. Like, take some of the money that you took from the 
poor bookies, the poor unsuspecting bookies, and give it to those less fortunate. Like, I, I got an example. You have, you know, listen, when you have a family of three and you have a mansion, you probably, let's just say this, you, if you had half as much space, you'd probably have enough space. Would you agree with that? Mm. All right, close enough. Yes. Well, you have like almost 7,000 square feet, right? 6,000. 6,000. So 3,000 square feet for three people? Yeah. You're not sure if that's enough? <laughs> that's like a four, like normal two-bedroom apartments when people move to town, you know, the th- used to be $1,000 a month type apartments. Those are 1,000 square feet. Yeah. Hollywood, how many square feet you got? 1,900. And how many people are there? Five. Okay, hold on a second. <laughs> Okay, so that's about 400 per? Sounds right. And you're saying, would 1,000 per be enough? To, and, and with one, you know, a, a nine-year-old kid, mm, I, if you really wanted me to push it, I mean... All right, I'm going to lose this argument <laughs> big time. I recant 3,000 square feet should be plenty. So you're saying half the space and you still would be living with more... Like, right now, per person, you have, like, five times the space of Hollywood. Ironically, perhaps named at this point. (laughs) Yes. Why not open it up? Why not, like, it could be at Fezzik Sports, F-E-Z-Z-I-K. And I'm not saying you have to do this. It's not my place to. But wouldn't it be nice if you said, I'm going to take in a family? And and listen, you will have... (laughs) The right, it'll be like a scholarship almost, where everyone submits an application that want, that's interested. You know, most likely it'd be Vegas people, but maybe someone wants to move here. They come in with their family. You can say, oh, limit of four kids, like whatever you want to. I mean, I don't know if Matt would necessarily apply, but I might. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking, what do you think? This is not going to happen. <laughs> Because, I mean, it seems like a really good idea. What's causing you to... Uh, oh, my wife is like the most private person in the world. So the whole concept of like some... So if it was... So know, we, like renting or giving out a room or rooms to someone we we don't know is like so foreign to her DNA that... Uh, so you're saying if it was your choice, it'd be like, you know, son, that'd be a nice way that we can, you know contribute to the world but the wife is saying no even though you haven't asked her and thus you got to say exactly no. like i got a buddy aaron that's um you know one of those guys that you're buddies with but you're not you know best friends with and he's looking for a place to live and i was thinking boy you know if it was me yeah go ahead and you know take that extra room take it take the guest room aaron but with my wife uh don't even have to think about asking her huh and <laughs> Uh, so upon reflection about your uh, you know what's funny you know there are especially when times get tough there are like crusading you know people that are like you know kind of like in Portland I guess and anarchists and such you know it's almost like in France right back with the uh the bourgeois you know the uh, guillotine type you know do you ever have? Do you ever think that you should, even if not in truth, do you ever think you should start like, like acting like you don't have so much? 
just so you're not, you know, you're more protected or, or let's say less, you know, out there? Or is it just so in your nature to peacock around that, that there's just no way you, you don't have any other... Guess who shows up for no reason at all to get his grandstanding and hot-dogging in? You, man. How's your contemplations on that? I'm, I'm thinking I'm worried they're going to be storming the Bastille on me here if but, uh, I don't change my ways. So, so. But so th- that's the point, though, is the only way to change your ways would be to start losing on purpose, which you're not going to do, or to start maybe like trying to contribute to the world around you. So what we're going to do every, every week through the football season, we're going to ask you, what have you done this week to help those less fortunate? And, um, you know, who knows? It could go well. It could be you build a whole new audience of people saying, you know why I like Fez? His nature was to be self-involved, but he finally figured out other people need help, and he's been helping us. I like this. I I am going to actively pursue this. Believe it or not. I know you don't believe it. I think that regardless of what happens, it's going to be entertaining. That's that's. I'm in the entertaining business, and I think we've we've found something else, amazingly, to be entertained by. Showtime! Woo! I got a lot of stuff here. Taping on Wednesday, Thursday, kickoff, or first pitch, Major League Baseball. We're going to talk about the rules changes. We're going to talk about no home crowd. We got some teams, really historic favorites, Yankees, Dodgers. We've got some teams bet, and not that many of them bet heavily, though, since the over-unders came out, but a couple got surprising big, you know, typical big favorites that aren't. NBA, we're going to talk about the Clippers specifically and the other things we've seen in the bubble. NFL, and, and this is big, WNBA. And Fez has an amazing record on that, literally 36-19. and 19. What percentage is that, Fez? 65%. Somehow you got that right off the top. I'm an actuary. So, so a little less than two out of three. Yeah. So you don't win two out of three, but almost. Yes. And this WNBA season probably offers more profit opportunity than a typical one. I think it does. And we're going to have a special offer for a shockingly low price to be in on it with Faz. You can be bourgeois with them. Then best bets, including Esler, Diamond Dave, and the hitman from Jersey, translucent skin. Let's start with baseball, Faz. What is your number one... Vegas perspective story on this season. You know, I got to talk about, and I know we're going to talk about the Dodgers and the Yankees and how in a year where all we hear about is parody, oh, there's going to be more parody this year because of the 60-game season, we have two of the biggest favorites we've ever seen historically in MLB. It is truly a unique situation. Yeah, so let's talk about that. Right now, we went back 10 prior years and said, let's look at the number one favorite. And the number two favorite. And what we have here is the Yankees and the Dodgers being number one and number two. And say, how big are these favorites this year relative to the past? And surprisingly, or let's say noteworthy, is the fact that this is the biggest group, you know, twin favorites we've had. Whereas if you just add up Dodgers right now, plus 380, Yankees plus 380, 
both the same, obviously. You add that up, it's like, okay, 760. No other two favorites have been less than 850. And of these 10 years, eight of the years, they added up to double digits. So just kind of running down, last year the two favorites combined for plus 1,300. And we'll just say 13 to 1, 11 to 1, 13 to 1, 20 to 1, 13, 13, 16, 11. So actually, it's been since 2011 that they haven't been in double digits. That was Boston Philly plus 850, Yankees Boston plus 900. So another way to say this is there hasn't been two teams with such a chance, with this big of a chance, to meet in the World Series as the Dodgers and the Yankees, which tends to go against the concept that 60 games instead of the normal 162 will lead to high variance. Less games means streaks matter more, fluky results matter more. I think, Fez, that's a sign that these teams are truly dominant, that, that I don't think it, those factors are invalidated, but rather those factors are meaning the high variance, chance of a long shot are in full effect, and still we have a historically big combo favorites because of how dominant these teams are. Yeah, and you've got two teams, frankly, that are really going for it this year in order to win, obviously, the Yankees. But if you look at the Dodgers and look no further than the Mookie Betts signing, locking them up long-term to the 13-year contract, the Dodgers haven't won a World Series since 1988. That's remarkable considering, I think, what was it? They would win every 11 years um, over decade after decade, and it has been over 30 years and two World Series losses 2017, 2018, and the Dodgers are all in looking to do everything they can to get a World Series. Dodgers were the favorite to win in 2014, 2015, 2018, and now this year they're tied. 2020, but those dastardly Houston Astros who are the third favorites right now. By the way, there's a prop out there. Do you want the Yankees? And Dodgers, those two, or the field, field minus 150, Yankees-Dodgers plus 130. So it's almost two teams versus 28 teams. And it's almost even field is a slight favorite, minus 150. This bet you don't even usually see. No. The, uh, the idea that you could have a competitive price all day long, give me the field is my thought. Lay minus 150, lay minus 180 in most years, and you'd have outstanding value. And remember, in the NBA, when you go to the playoffs, when you got a dominant team, seven-game series, they almost always win. This is not the case in baseball. In baseball, funny things happen. And let's face it, let's look at this year. The Yankees are supposed to win 37 and a half games. Tampa Bay is supposed to win 34 and a half games. So the Yankees... They're only supposed to win the East by three games against their top competitor. That's a very thin, slim margin. If the Yankees don't win the division, they're going to have to play in a wild card game. Yeah, and, and I think that's another reason it's high variance is there's just more playoff teams, right? So what's the playoff team count? Oh, just 10. Back to oh, the – yeah, oh, they oh. did not expand the playoffs. Okay, wow. Um, hmm. 
Boy, that seemed to be the main thing they were talking about in the lead up. Well, I guess I like that they now is the plan to do it in the near future or we don't we don't know. Next year's up in the air. I hope they don't. I mean, I get it. The playoffs are what's interesting to most people and it's business. But it feels like the more you make the champion random, the more it's just a bunch of luck, the less any of it means. And in general, I know we could never go back to this, but the old that there would be one team that would win the American League and one team. That, I mean, I don't even remember that, but I, you know, because it wasn't the case when I was cognizant. But the idea of those two fighting it out in a seven game series, and then occasionally you'd have a tie at the top, it'd be a one game, you know, Giants win the pennant type thing. I think that was two out of three. Was it? I'm pretty sure. Mackenzie, you look that up. I mean, you were alive back then. My I was. My dad wasn't. told me about it. When oh, was your up. dad. He was a huge. He was your a dad huge told you about it when you were fell asleep right Dodger before it fan, st- the game yeah. ended. I mean, oh, this is 1955. Exactly. You were what five? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> That's Steve Fezzik. I'm R.J. Bell. Much, much younger, both <laughs> in spirit, appearance, intellect. Wow. Well, younger in intellect is that good or bad? I'm not sure. Because sometimes it's you know you're more learned and other times you're stuck in your ways. I think we could go back ten years and you'd be <laughs> you'd maintain your dominance. Well, hold on a second. Breaking NY Post, a New York Post breaking one hour ago. MLB discussing expanded playoffs for 2020 season. So this seems crazy. I'll just read this real quick. MLB might get an expanded playoff after all. See, my instincts are always right, Steve. An industry source. (laughs) After I corrected you, I'm the one that's going to be wrong. Exactly. The industry source confirmed the MLB and the MLB Players Association were talking Wednesday about increasing the playoffs from 10 teams under the format that existed since 2012, up to 16 for this coming season. R.J. Bell was first on the story. No, no, no. I, I mean, see, listen, that's an example where you're so far behind you think you're in first. Right? Sometimes it's true. It wouldn't surprise me if you didn't have a contact somewhere ah. out there. Do you know how some people get premonitions? I'm one of them. All right. So either way, well, I tell you this, if this does happen, the favorites are, you know, what's interesting. I wonder, Mackenzie, do me a favor. Just. This looks like it came out about an hour ago, and we're at 5.44 Pacific time on Wednesday, based upon the atomic clock. No radiation from it, though. Don't worry. Steve's hair is fine. Look up to see if the Yankees or the Dodgers have moved, you know, specifically from the books that we looked at it this morning at. Because when you say, let's say the odds are 50%, it goes here. Does that hurt the Yankees? I mean, even a 50% chance this hurt the Yankees and Dodgers? Yeah, it really hurts the Dodgers because they got, you know, they're eight games clear in projections over the Padres to win their division. So if they got to win another playoff series along the line, that's uh, absolutely going to hurt them. So you're saying one of the advantages of them playing up to um, expectation would be wiped away by this, and the chance of them achieving this is greater than the Yankees. Be, the buy because the Yankees have a competitor within three games. Yes. Okay. All right. I'm 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 just interested to see if the market's moving on this. Check two books so far. No movement as of yet. Mm-hmm. They don't have premonitions. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about some other teams here. Houston, we talked about. They were getting bean like crazy. Do you feel like this is a potential advantage for Houston? The theory being getting hit 
effectively is a base. And if you give people free bases for some message, doesn't that mean they actually benefit the team getting hit? I actually don't think it's an advantage. Now, certainly in that one particular inning or game, it may benefit Houston. But think about it. If you're going up to the batter's box and every time you go up there, especially with the pitcher that's got a fastball, which is most of MLB, and you're worried that they're going to throw one at your ribs, you're never going to get comfortable in the batter's box. And so the implications of not being comfortable, I think, are far greater than what's going to happen by getting hit by a pitch. Um, What's the team going to do? Get hit by a pitch three-quarters of the time? Um, You're just not going to get enough base runners to make up for it. And also, what happens if I get hit hit on the wrist and I get players getting hurt from being struck by the ball? It certainly happens, injury-related, by being hit by a pitch. It's going to make a sexy scar. Don't you think, Steve, perhaps you think about things differently than professional athletes? Because you... If I said you were going to be a tight end and go over the middle, kind of like paper lion kind of thing, mm. is I'm guessing you'd be like, I'm a little bit worried about uh, blows to the head. Have you heard of CTE? I mean, there'd be a lot of that talk, wouldn't there? Yeah. It'd be like, the remember when Rocky was talking to Adrian before the first fight? He goes, I can't beat him. I just want to go the distance. It'd be a very different thing. You think I can back out of this <laughs> somehow? <laughs> right? I don't know. I'm thinking about Bolt Durham. Remember when he got the pitcher gets his control back and uh, the catcher comes out, Crash Davis says, yeah, hit the mascot next pitch. Don't let him get comfortable on you. But that was minor leaguers. Yeah. Right? True. I don't know. I, I feel like, oh, this is interesting. Astros have, a, there's an over and under at Bet Online. How many hit batsmen are they going to have this season? Over, under 41 and a half. So, See who led the what team led the league last year, but this is fascinating. A walk is estimated as worth a third of a run on average, so hit by pitch would be analogous. Think about that. So now, over under for the season's one forty one and a half, or I'm sorry, forty one and a half. Let's just say the. In fact, I'd be interested in both the leader last year and an average team. Mm-hmm. Now, let's just say for the sake of argument, an average team is. 21 and a half, so there's plus 20, and we'll see. All of a sudden, now it's like seven runs. How much is seven runs worth on a season, right? I mean, this seems, especially a 60-game season. And and obviously, we'd have to do the ratio of, uh, you know, 41 over 162 and compare it to last yeah. year. So take, obviously, McKenzie, there's a few calculations there. Take your time on it. It feels pretty meaningful, this goes again. You think their fear is worth a third of a run well, every time they get hit? I do, and also yours might be. And another factor is, if you being my guys. Wait, so wait a minute. Hold I'm, on a second. Hold on a second. After all the time I gave you to answer, now because your answer got kind of schnookered, it's like let me tell you the real reason. No, no. The why real were you, why were you withholding being, that to start with? No, it's it's not being comfortable. But I do think a real reason is that if my guys are getting beaned, I'm going to bean the other team. Except that's the, my except recourse. Houston understands that they deserve it. So do they think that them beating them back is going to stop it? It's just going to escalate it. Well, and then you might get some best face-clearing brawls and guys getting tossed and, out for and, a and week that, also, which is going to hurt the team. Well, I, mean, I don't – but, again, we didn't see that. I mean, yet, the reason we're talking about this now is because yesterday Houston got hit three times. They didn't hit anyone back. I think they realize it. They have it coming. And I think it's baseball's fault for not properly adjudicating – punishing Houston. 
the World Series champion is not a hunk of metal. <laughs> and you want to act like it is, and it invalidates the whole, you know, giving a care about your entire game. As Rob Heatley would say, I don't give a care. Well, if you don't give a care, you don't watch, you don't buy, you're not buying jerseys and such. All right, so in 2019, the Mets had not, oh, McKenzie's on it today, 96 over 162. So that would have came out to 35. The average team would have been the White Sox that if you look at over six game season would have been 25 last year. So we, the theory is there's going to be 16 and a half additional hits batsmen for the Astros compared to an average team and more than last year's leader. So almost a historic amount 16 extra, so it's, uh, what, a third, let me see, eight and eight, oh no, so a half a run, or a third of the run times 16, so like five runs. One more win. Is that five runs is one yeah. more win? Yeah, I think so. Really? That seems low. That seems way low. You're saying every five, so when a team is like. You know, I'm not certain on baseball. That's just an estimate. I don't well, know baseball. Well, let's keep looking here. So, Mackenzie, do me a favor. Just pick three teams, whatever their record was, and see how many runs. So let's say they were five games below. How many runs did they get outscored by? And it could be any three teams. Just don't include, because this is a good segue, the Reds, because they actually had a disproportionate number of wins or, or too few. So we're doing like the Pythagorean, what, you know, what is the typical run margin per win or per loss? But just by picking three teams, I think that's good enough. Does that make sense? Yep, I'm on it. Awesome. You're on it today. All right. One of the teams being bet like crazy, Cincinnati. World Series odds for the Reds, 37 to 1 before, now 25 to 1. But even since they came out with the schedule, the 60 games, only three teams have been bet off their number. I mean, that's shocking. Reds are one of them. They were bet from 31 and a half wins to 33. What was the Yankees' win number? They've been anywhere from 37. What's the to current eight, number? 37 to 37 and a half. So you're saying the Yankees are plus 380. They're supposed to have four more wins than the Reds, and the Reds are 25 to 1. Yes. Doesn't that make the Reds look juicy? It does. Even at that number? Huh. Okay. So, speaking of Pythagorean, why Reds? Why are the Wilds guys betting the Reds? Yeah, well, the Reds were a team that had a bad record last year. You mentioned it. Reds only won 75 games, but they only got outscored by 10 runs. So, they were a team that was almost, on paper, a 500 team with any reasonable amount of luck. They just were very unlucky. So they're almost an average team last year. So based upon last year's results, the public may be mispricing Cincinnati. Thus, the wise guys were batting on them. Exactly, because the wise guys are looking at the additions to the Reds. So they pick up um, Bauer, who is a good pitcher from Cleveland. They pick up Moustakas, who's a good hitter, second baseman. And that lineup, you know, I just saw a projection of the Reds lineup where they rate guys and 100 is considered to be average. And across that lineup like one through seven it's incredibly good where everybody is a better than average hitter so the Reds should really be scoring runs this year okay now do you think at the current number either 25 to 1 or over 33 that you like it still you know I still like over 33 and here's why and I've spoken to some pro betters and I've done this myself 
people are reluctant to bet these season wins unless they have a really big edge. So why has the Reds number not gone even higher? Well, a lot of people bet the NBA season wins and basically are getting zero return on investment. Their money got tied up for 10 months. And there's this real concern, hey, maybe they're only going to play some of these teams a little less than 60 games. And because of that, they don't want to tie up their money again. It's like, fool me once. Now you're going to fool me again in the COVID year. I'm only going to make a bet if it's a really good bet on a season win because I might get my money refunded. And the refund, uh, not talking about any given books, but in general, it feels like that they're not super player friendly. Like as much as the circuit is known to be player friendly, they had some stuff put up. The games got pretty much canceled by now. They've got written on the ticket. And again, listen, it's not saying it's illegal. Something about like got to be played by March 15th or something. And then they're going to hold the money all that time. Yeah, and what I've been told by the places, one place still hasn't paid me on regular season. They said, well, it says during the regular season, team must play 82 games for there to be action. Mr. Fezzik, the regular season isn't over yet. We can't pay these out until the regular season ends after these teams play their last eight games. And listen, they're just following the rules, dude. Cockroaches. Cockroaches, yeah. Okay, so... The bar, the ROI, return on investment bar goes up. Thus, there's not as much betting. Thus, there's not as much movement. But Cincinnati's moved big. Now, another team, probably the only other team that I've heard a lot of good things about from the batters, the, the Padres. Padres were 60-1, to 1, down to 40-1 to 1 to win the World Series. Win total hasn't moved. This was more of an early move. Now, a team... That's shockingly, I think it's fair to say, just because of their pedigree, the Red Sox are a team that's been bet down. So they're the second of three teams that's moved from 31 wins to 29 and a half. You gave that on SOV. Did you give that here? I did. Okay, so reiterate your rationale. You had under Red Sox. Well, you nailed it. The Red Sox have that reputation for always being a winning team. So when you see 31, hey, that's just barely above 500. At first sight, that looks like a low number for the Red Sox, a team with a really good, potent lineup. But when you look at the Red Sox last year, RJ, they barely won over 500 last year. They won 84 games. So that 31 number was essentially assumes the Red Sox would win 52% of their games, no improvement or no getting worse. But the Red Sox should be worse this year. The pitching got decimated. Their ace, uh, Chris Sale, is out for the year. They lost two other starters in their starting rotation. So they lost 60% of their starting pitchers. And then their number one guy, their ace, Eduardo Rodriguez, caught COVID. Now, he's just starting to work out and come back, but he's not going to be their starter opening day. So you can see that the Red Sox pitching is absolutely decimated from a starting perspective. Steve Fezzik, ahead of all that, helped you that followed, now down to 29 and a half, which effectively means... Vegas is projecting the Red Sox to be a below 500 team, a losing team. Now they're losing team in the last of the three arrows, and this one's down, Toronto, a team without a home. First it was, hey, maybe we should play in our home. Nah, we don't want you there. Well, maybe Pittsburgh just today. Nah. Fez, the market's barely moved on this. Even 24 hours ago, it hadn't moved. Now... Toronto was 27 and a half wins down about a win. I've seen a little less, but 26 and a half, let's call it. 
You think this is still short? Yeah, the Blue Jays still in search of a home, and it really is remarkable, RJ. It's not just Canada that told them, no, you can't play there last week. Then they're like, well, maybe we can play in Buffalo. That's where our AAA team is. And everyone wants to play in Buffalo. And and turns out the facilities are not up to MLB snuff. The lights aren't good enough. But none, uh, the players, I think, were more didn't want to play there, right? It wasn't so much the league said you can't play there. I, I, I think it was the facilities. I think the players. Yeah, but I'm saying the players the, said they didn't like the facilities. Yeah, uh, that was part of it, but they just didn't have any good options. And then they spoke about Florida. Hey, that's where we train in spring training. And then COVID hit Florida worse than any other state. And those facilities need upgrading as well, specifically the lights. And basically, they didn't have any options. And then finally, maybe we can play in Pittsburgh. And that looks so good. And it was apparently signed off and approved. And then the Pennsylvania uh, Governing Health Board denied that. So Toronto is still in search of a home. And RJ, they might be playing all of their games against in their opponents' home stadiums. That's a possibility. So as of now, the athletic organization is saying Baltimore is an option. They have to get a checkoff from Stringer Bell and Avon. No, no. But likely any other regions will have the same concerns as Pittsburgh or Pennsylvania. Now, is that editorial from you, McKenzie? No, that's from Ken Rosenthal. Eh, I don't believe it. Under that... See, to me, this is all ass backwards. I get if it would be a bunch of fans there, but you're saying the idea of, you know, what? I don't know. Is there 100 people travel with a baseball team? Probably even less than that, right? That 100 people coming into the state of Pennsylvania. I mean, there could be 100 people going there to to get a kraut dog in Pittsburgh, (laughs) and the idea that, that... the, 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 for, a, you know, 60 games, you'd be, you know, at least for that span of the season, you'd be getting mentioned, you know, Toronto Blue Jays playing in Pittsburgh. That's probably worth millions of dollars of PR. And I get it. This is when the trouble starts, is when it's not about the merit of any decision, but about the perception. Oh, we don't want to be perceived like we're letting outsiders in. And... I get it. Is is in a mathematical sense, whatever chance of COVID, there's a decimal point difference that a hundred people is going to be in there. But under that theory, why don't you may ban your own teams? Why not ban the Pirates? Because I get that it's in addition, but the Pirates are going to be going from place to place, you know, uh, potentially infecting themselves and bringing yeah, it back. That, to that really is a great point because the. The pirates are not just staying in, in Pennsylvania. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not. I mean, now I get it. It's it's in addition to, but you get paid a lot of money. You get a lot of PR, but it's perception, and it's not just Pittsburgh. It's wherever or Pennsylvania. By the way, we got our numbers here, Fez. It looks like you were way off. So the average of one win was of a uh, .67 run differential. So the Yankees, for example, won 103 games. And they had a plus 204 run differential. And that's it was 0.5 wins per run differential. Hmm? Well, they, you got to compare it to 81 wins. How many games above 81? So the Yankees were, what, 22 games? 23 games above 101? with the two, So 204 extra runs got them, what, 23 extra wins? Okay, so how would you calculate this out? 204 divided by the 23. Right. Okay, so I guess what would your conclusion be here? That would be you need 10 runs to pick up an extra game. 
So 10 runs for an extra game. Because the theory is, if, if, if all things are equal, if you win half your games, you're going to have an even scoring margin. You won half, right. and then thus you scored as much as you gave up. Now, the theory is, if you're going to win better than 500% of your games or half your games, you're going to score more runs. So go ahead. Yeah, so if... If we look at the Yankees and they outscore their opponents by 200 runs and that equated to a little more than 20 wins, that means every nine extra runs that you score, you pick up a win, right? Hmm. 9.27 when I take the 204 divided by the 23. That seems crazy. So in the NFL, that seems, that seems insanely high to me that, that, that you pick up 10. So in the NFL, how much is a win worth? 35 points is one win. I know that seems high as well, but that's... 35 points. You know something? I, I've never thought about this, so I'm going to have to think about it. And I don't want to do it, you know, live on air or, not, you know, recorded, but still real time. So based on that, the, using the three different numbers, you know, we're just taking an average there. So the... What, what did we guess? Astros were going to be five extra wins? Yeah. Or five extra runs? Yeah, five extra runs. That's so, only half a win. Hmm. hmm. Well, is it different because it's 162 versus 60? I don't think it is. I think the math still... Yeah, it's going to be per game, right? Or per win. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Huh. But, yeah, I guess that makes sense. So I was thinking, what happens if someone has one extra win, and they but they could be a negative? Yeah. Okay. Looks it's, pretty consistent, those three teams, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it it just <laughs> the idea that that if you say, well, that's what I, that's what throws me. So like in like we'll talk about like a player that's worth one point per game in the NFL. So he's sixteen points on the season. Okay, huh? All right. So maybe it is. Let's just say this. I think Fez is right. There's some psychology to Houston's that's negative with this. And it looks like the actual math of it, if these were robots, is pretty modest. So maybe it's at best even, uh, you know, and maybe it is a negative. I, I'm sure it is if the fastball is coming at your head. All right. So you explained the Red Sox. We talked about Toronto. Now, here's the thing about Toronto. I believe this will hurt them. Right now, at the beginning, and then if they do have an uh, unattractive solution, and I mean even more unattractive than Buffalo, it hurts them a lot later in the year. So imagine, uh, within the 60 games, imagine a scenario that Toronto's out of it. There's 15 games left or 45 games in. They're supposed to be a well below 500 team. They're out of it. Okay, now you're in month three of not going home? Because if they're playing 60 games in 66 days, you know, when you're quote-unquote home, you're not home. So this is like the NBA bubble that everyone's been whining about, except that's sitting there in a nice hotel. Yeah, you're used to the facilities, you're used to the layout, you've got your routine, right? Now you're going from play, you're like a, a bar, barnstorming team, you got the COVID exposure everywhere you go. 
You know, never with never with your, uh, as I said in the firm at the end, never two nights at the same place. Well, maybe not quite like that, but still, I think this team gets fatigued, and I think once you're out of it, it's gonna feel like a, it's gonna feel. Uh, Let's just say arduous. Yeah, and you've spoken about the condensed schedule that this year, more than any other, 92% of the time you're playing back-to-back games versus 87% in a normal year. That equates to every 20 days you get one day fewer off. It's all going to catch up to a team. And even if you get to a rare situation, let's say so they go to Washington on and they're on the road, and then let's say they stay in Washington and play two home games at home. You could say, well, that's nice for them. That's an advantage because they get to stay in that city for four days. Well, so does their opponent, and their opponent gets to play in their home park. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously there'll be times it's harder and times that are less hard, but just you add it up. It, I mean, we've never seen something like this, have we? I mean, the analogy I brought up on the radio was the idea that when New Orleans was hit post-Katrina and they were displaced— in hindsight, those uh, Saints talk about how difficult that was. Um, do you recall that, Steve? Yeah, I do recall. I don't recall the exact records, you know, with the Katrina and what went on, but I know it was very challenging. And this feels even more challenging to me. So. Oh, it does. And, you know, and the, the lack of prep time, the season's about to start. And these guys still don't know where they're going to be. I mean, it'd be one thing if you told me, "Hey, a month ahead of time." And that's so why I, I think, and that's why I think early, the it's more of a distraction, and later it's going to be more of an accumulated burden. All right, let's talk home field in general. No fans, most likely. We did a little math on this. It looks like that baseball is cutting it about in half, maybe a dime to twelve and a half cents. Where typical home field advantage. Has even teams minus one twenty five. Looks like it's moving towards one fifteen or, or you know one thirteen or so. Yeah, and I think I agree with this. We will have to see, but no fans in the stands. You're still going to have an advantage being at home because of the sight lines and you know sleeping in your own bed, etc. But I really think that uh, this is an impact not having the fans making all the noise, and that that is going to impact the road team more than the home team. So not having them, I think it's the proper adjustment. Cut it in half. Lastly, a team, the defending champions, not getting a ton of respect. In fact, and you know, we're taping Wednesday night, but Thursday, opening night, home dog with Scherzer against the Yankees. So a lot of Yankees love home dog. A lot of love. I gotta tell you, RJ, you know, when you look at Scherzer as a plus one twenty dog at home, world champions, wowza. Uh, not a lot of love for the defending champions. Now, you've got not this game, if I recall, but you've got a pickup that you already like for Thursday night, right? I do. Dodgers opening day are hosting the Giants, and I do have a premium play on that game. And additionally, and this is price to this is price to move, as they say, you've got three win totals up that you just get as a bonus. It's like steak knives. <laughs> yes, I may have given away too many steak knives, but I have three season wins that I personally bet big, and they're this all... This is the game that people are going to talk about for years to come. Well, maybe not, but at this price... What's the price on this? $25. Let me tell you something, guys. When we talk WNBA, we're going to give a little bonus code that you could use for WNBA or use for this. That's coming up here fairly soon, but... Let me tell you, there's a little consternation within the office about Steve's pricing on this. But his mistake is, well, again, he's got enough. So maybe 
It's take advantage is all I would say. But I, I do believe in almost all of these sports, the, the profit opportunity is bigger than it's maybe ever been. Now, why do I say that? There's more variables. And the more variables, it means the less rote default thinking, which means your true handicapping talent comes through. And we know Steve is one of the best when it comes to the less conventional things, like in-game betting, et cetera. A lot of things we've never faced as handicappers before here. And uh, I think that, that there's never any guarantees, but I'm very optimistic about his stuff. Okay. You know, and real quickly, RJ, not just more variables making each individual sport more complex. When have we ever seen so many sports going on at the same time where we've got NHL starting August 1st, distracting the bookmakers, and we've got NBA? So what you're saying is you're not an NHL handicapper, but the fact it's going on means the bookmakers are spending resources on exactly, it. Exactly, yes. And they're going to have to still keep up their Korean table tennis and stuff, right? You know, Korean baseball. Korean baseball, Japanese baseball. Better check what time those games so, start. Somehow I think those aren't going to be up. I'm just guessing. Okay, a couple rules changes here. We'll just rattle them off. You can tell me if you have any thoughts on here. Extra inning base runner. Yeah, worth. I estimated one-tenth of a run extra per game. So for the totals. For the totals. Reason being about 9%, a little over 9% of games go extra innings. If they do go extra innings, I think on average you're going to see an extra run in those extra inning games. Universal DH. Extra half run, I'm estimating, in the National League games. Historically, the American League games have been almost a half run higher scoring than the National League games. So just eyeballing it, does it feel like that's the adjustment that the National League games have for the early games? You know, I knew you were going to ask me that, and I have not eyeballed it yet. So put that up, McKenzie. We'll take a gander at it as we keep, you know, just uh, the National League schedule for Friday, Thursday, Friday. Um, I knew you were going to ask, but I did not get that information relievers here we go steve you want to take a gander i don't think i can no sense all right so next week we'll let's let's put that on the agenda for next week um reliever must face three batters or until the end of the inning yeah and the real key here initially i thought that wow this is a real big change and then you think about it, oftentimes you bring in that lefty. Yeah, but you, that's the thing. It opens you up. I mean, what you're saying is you get the one out, it's just like it would have been. But what happens if you don't? Yeah, so the floodgates could well open up. But um, the fact that you can bring in a pitcher with two outs, a lot of times he is going to get out of it. When a well, lefty but what do you mean a lot lefty? of times? It's about 40% of the time there's going to be something other than an out. I, right? think, I think a lefty specialist against a lefty, 30%. All right, so yeah. 30%. Yeah. yeah. Seems pretty – now – Comes up a right-handed batter now. What? Yeah, problems. Not to mention, can't they DA or can't they pitch hit? Of Le- course. So now it's against a righty. And uh, and you bring up a great point that that left-hand specialist is going to be brought in against premium left-handed hitters more often than not because there's no reason to ever bring him in against a left-handed hitter that isn't any good because he's just going to have to face a right-hander. So every rule change seems to add to the scoring. I mean, by, by just restricting the way you can put relievers in, it has to add to the score. Yeah, absolutely. And I got to tell you, we are going to see some massive bad beats. We're going to see some games that are 0-0 and extra innings go over. Uh, pretty incredible stuff that could happen with some of these rule changes. All right. 
So we'll give you next week a first week recap of baseball, but next week especially we'll be focused on the NBA. I'm R.J. Bell. This is the Dream Preview with Steve Fezzik. You got a little bit here, Steve, in your notes about the Clippers. You're a little bit mm, underwhelmed. Yeah, so we were optimistic about the Clippers. Who's, who's we? You and I, I think. I'm not no? sure. I, well, I think you made the excellent – I was optimistic about the Clippers because you made the excellent points. I talked about, RJ, I'm worried about continuity. So you got Paul George and Kawhi coming in before the season starts, and now you got new additions, Marcus Morris, Reggie Jackson. Those guys have played about 10 games each. There's not when, With the discontinuation of play, there's not enough time to get the rotations right with all these players working together. And then I thought about – the whole idea of summer camp and all the extra practices and the opportunity to work on things because you normally don't get these extended practices. And I kind of that that uh, won me over. And I said, wow, this really can help the Clippers. Well, the problem is summer camp is optional, apparently, for the Clippers because we've had four guys not be in Orlando already. We've got their point guard, Beverly. We've got their power forward, um, um, Hardell both exiting because of family issues. We've got one guy with uh, COVID, Shamit, and their center, Zubak. You tell me why. No one knows where he's at, RJ. It's rumored he has COVID. So you got four Clippers that are not practicing. To me, this is why, if you think about the real winners, and especially the winners that win more than they should. So let's use Tony Dungy as an example. Tony Dungy won a lot of games. Tony Dungy won a Super Bowl. But there was never a sense Tony Dungy won more titles than he should have. In fact, I think it's fair to say they won less. If you just look at like expectation based on number of wins in the regular season, based on playoff seeding, underperformed. Now, that could just be a coincidence, no doubt. But it also could be Tony Dungy always was kind of waiting for the perfect time for people to try. It was like preseason. Did not try very hard. Oh. When they were 14-1, and one, tw- you know, 13-1, and one, and locked up the number one seed, they would take weeks off at a time. Yes. And lo and behold, they lost a lot of games it seems like they shouldn't have. Now, you've got the Belichick. You've got the Parcells, especially. That's school. And now you've got Harbaugh at Baltimore. They want to win every game. And I believe that till the day I hang up the mic— I will be talking about the impression that that New England Giants game, the week 17, that was such a story. Cause great the point. Patriots going for 16-0 that literally like congressmen got involved and said this cannot be on the NFL network. So it was broadcast on multiple over-the-air stations. It was like of national importance. And... The Giants came out and said, and the Giants had nothing to play for. They were a wild card team that was actually locked in to that spot. And that was one of the toughest, hardest fought games I can ever remember. It was a war. And you remember that game? I don't remember the game, but I remember the circumstances that the Giants had to play the next week. And I'm like, what are they doing? Yeah, the physics of the world, the guys that sit up in the clouds with the little glass helmets and their brains are in like a vat. They are thinking, they don't, bloodless. Football is a game 
of passion. It's a physical game. And and to whatever degree we want to say in hindsight, oh, Coughlin was, you know, what he did with Jacksonville was wrong and whatever. Here was a guy that had that same old school mentality. And I think it's unequivocal that the Giants would have never won the Super Bowl that year. And maybe unequivocal is not the right word, but I feel it strongly. One, to just get to the Super Bowl as a wild card, but then to say, we're not scared of this. This Pats team, we saw the best they got, and we almost won. But you would have never had that chance if Fez would have had his protractor out telling you the expectations and such. Does that cause you in any way to recant your position? It does. I mean, I remember the Giants, if you would have just money line parlayed them each and every week that, that year, I think it was like 100 to 1 that you, you could You mean the playoff run? In the playoffs, you're right. And they were so discounted. Even when they played really well week 17, the market kind of you know shrugged it off. And I remember the Giants weren't a popular betting option all, all you know during the playoffs, and it really was just a remarkable run, and you nailed it. They basically said, hey, they learned Week 17, hey, if we can almost beat the Patriots, we can, we can beat anyone. And it's like the Clippers are saying, okay, when do we try? And they say, well, the regular season, you know, pre-COVID, we don't really need to try. Load management. Now we don't really need to try because, to be honest, if we're the second seed or third seed, what's the difference? And maybe it's better to be the fourth seed and get Lakers earlier. Who knows what they're thinking? But usually when that's the case, when it's time to turn it on, well, you get something more like this. Doesn't sound good. No. Now, we could say, oh, isn't that what Kawhi did with Toronto? It doesn't feel like it. It feels like it was Toronto was playing super hard as a team and Kawhi was load managing, but it in a way helped the team grow into not needing him. It was almost like, you know, daddy's when daddy's here, he because give Kawhi credit. When he plays, he plays hard. So when daddy's here, he's playing hard. When daddy's not here, we're learning to play without daddy. Here it feels like the whole team's taking on this mentality, which I that feels pro- – especially because Paul George seems to have it to start with. I'm not sure it was load management, they, whatever you want to call it. It's not a good word. I don't think you can come out with a good one. I get it. Everyone's saying, well, when the east sun is coming up and the wind's blowing between 18 and 22 miles an hour – the Clippers are 70%. It's like, okay, I, I, you know, let's just think of the winner. You know, here's what we know. At some point, we got to say, okay, what did Michael Jordan do? What did Magic do? What did Larry Bird do? What did Tim Duncan do? And then we can say, quite frankly, what did Golden State do? What I, you might think that's a modern, you know, they feel modern, and that's maybe if you're old school, you didn't like it. But they were old school when it came to effort. They were old school when it came to caring about winning. And then you got LeBron. And I'm not a big LeBron guy. But, and I, but I, I think you can't deny LeBron is like the Kareem of this era where if you just look at the accumulated stats, they're, they're shockingly impressive. But then you look pre-Magic especially, Kareem didn't win a lot of titles. 
And Kareem was far from the best player on the team. I think at any point, really, during the magic, you know, the magic run, though, maybe you could say the first title. I don't know. He wasn't there against the Sixers in game six. I know that much. <laughs> so I like Kareem. He's, you know, Skyhook's fun and all, but I don't know the 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 guy who LeBron feels the most like I got other things to worry about except winning. But oh, I'm gonna keep now that seems contradictory to the fact he keep you know spends a million dollars a year keeping his body in shape. But that doesn't feel like it's about winning. It's about his performance. He's a performance guy and not necessarily a winning guy. I'm not saying he doesn't want to win. I'm saying that when the chips are down and you gotta make that hardest of hard decisions, Jordan was about winning. And quite frankly, Jordan felt a way to win was to practice hard. I mean, now they're trying to decide do they play hard in games. For Jordan, it was play hard in practice. And maybe one day... He'd get mad, right, at his teammates? We saw that. Yeah. yeah. And I just don't... Now, you could say, but on the other hand, I don't know what the other hand is. Like, who, who is that winner in any sport? And baseball is different. I think because, and I don't saying there's anything in baseball. I'm just saying it's 162 games. It's not about energy as much. It's a you know, it's in a way you got to be zen to get through all those games. But in in football or basketball, show me the winner that didn't want to win every time they stepped on the court. And Kawhi's won. It just feels like that now that the rest of the team has taken on his personality. I I don't think that's happening. Kawhi wasn't like that with the Spurs. Right, so, and is Toronto, you got to give Toronto credit and and Kawhi credit, but it doesn't feel the same to me. It feels like Kawhi was the hired gun, that they were okay that he wasn't there every game. It feels like he's the culture setter. He's the ethos setter for the Clippers, and that ethos is one of, tell me when I should start trying. In fact, I'll tell you, still haven't seen it. Yep, two family emergencies. Hey, you know what? I'll come I've, back. I've never seen all these family. I, I, I can't you even think f- these family emergencies would happen during the right the normal season. This is like where's Waldo? I can't even find Zubac. They're starting center. Yakim Noah's their starting center now because Zubac is he in Orlando? Some say he might be. It's like the what are those? The Oompa Loompas and the Wonka Factory. Nobody's seen them though. I won't be betting the Clippers too much. Yeah, see, this is interesting. Smartass McKenzie puts up Sports Illustrated 2012 on Spurs. Spurs find 2,500 for wrestling players. Now, here's the thing. 250,000. Yeah, 250,000. What did I say? I thought I said 250. All right, so 250,000, 250,000, quarter of a stick. Now, let's think about what the Spurs did there. To me, what they did was say, hey, 82 games during this span, not conducive to getting into the playoffs at a high performance. So we're going to judiciously pick spots to load manage. And otherwise, we're going to, everyone who's playing this game is going to play as hard as possible. And every game you play, you're going to play as hard as possible. So maybe you could make the case that I, you know, 
I wasn't as explicit as that. But let's think about this. When I said with Toronto, this team played hard when they played and they were accepting of the days Kawhi wanted to take off, I think that's fine. What I think was a problem is when the culture of the team becomes, hmm, is this important enough for me to play hard today? That was never the case on the Spurs. In fact, I remember, you know, I followed the, the two years when the Spurs almost beat Miami and then they beat Miami. I watched a ton. I watched more Spurs than any other team I've watched in 20 years. It just was a team. I like Kawhi at the time who was almost like a robot where he just played defense, shot open shot. He was the perfect complimentary basketball player. And, you know, Popovich hadn't gotten so political and I appreciate his expertise and I rooted for that team. I remember there were playoff games. They'd be losing, you know, before the finals, before Miami. It might have been actually the Miami series too, where they were down like 22, like with 18 minutes or 15 minutes left. So say a quarter and change. They put in all their backups, figuring why tire my guys out. Mm. But then the interesting thing was they cut it like to six at one point and they kept their backups in. And they asked, you know, Popovich after, why didn't you put the starters in? Because the starters are the ones that had us down 22. So to me, it's very Belichickian that it's not that you play dumb. It's not that you just play to play. But you all, if you're playing, you're playing hard. And I would make the case that it's hard to look at the Spurs and say that wasn't the case. And that's different than saying we're not going to play every starter every game all year. I think the reason they got fined is for whatever reason, the Spurs were inclined to sit people during TV games. Well, that's when you're going to do it, when you have that big game at Utah, right? Or, you know, the nationally televised game that's a horrible spot against a, a premium team. Well, that's the game you can tank because you're probably going to lose anyways. Or it's a game that for whatever, who knows? You get Types like Popovich like to fight the power too. The NBA is a business, and Popovich is able to make all his money and still act like he's subversive against that. So here's a quote. Pop sent Tim Duncan, Ginobili, Parker, and Danny Green back to San Antonio rather than play them against the defending champion Heat, even though none of the players were suffering from known injuries. So this is saying we're on a road trip. It's the last game of the road trip. My guess is that the prior game wasn't right, right nearby. It wouldn't make sense they would have played in Orlando. Maybe they did. I'd be interested to look at it. I'm guessing there was a, you know, this would be one we don't get the data unless it backs up McKenzie. But is <laughs> my guess is, is it was a fairly long trip to get down to the tip of Miami. And it was like, okay, let's just send you guys back home. Not only do you get to skip a game, you get to go sleep in your own beds an extra night. Just smart ball. Now, I get the idea the league is saying, you know, we're selling tickets to these games, then maybe schedule less games or maybe have it ex extend over a longer period of time. I mean, it's no coincidence. It seems like a long time ago, but it wasn't that long ago. Golden State was in the finals 13 months ago, and there were two catastrophic injuries in those finals meaning we defined it as more than 10 months of projected rehab. You know, so in Achilles could be 10, 11, 12, 13. In the entire season, um, with players who had played 20 minutes or more, so starters and even beyond, there had been two. 
So all teams, all season, two catastrophic injuries, and now Golden State, after multiple runs into the finals, after another long season, they have two themselves. Now listen, is that statistically significant? I don't know. Seems significant to me. The fact that Duncan played as long as he did, that Ginobili played as long as he did, feels like the Spurs had it figured out. It's not the same thing as not caring. I, you could not have watched the Spurs and thought they don't care. If anything, they cared so much about winning this year and next year, they wanted to be smart about the way they approach things. I never got a sense they didn't care. And maybe that's a distinction that's in my mind and it's not other people's. I mean, does that resonate with you, Steve? Yeah, big time. And even when you watch the Clippers, you almost get a feel for, what was the baseball player? It was a big poppy sometimes that would, would say, oh, no big deal. Yeah, we lost today. No big deal. And they seem to have that. And maybe that works in baseball. Yeah, I, maybe it's necessary. Yeah. yeah, because you got to hit the ball. And if you're really pressed, that's not going to help you. But effort equates to playing better more often than not in basketball. Well, I mean, you know, you're pra- that's curious. We haven't seen where they flew in from. Uh, having trouble finding that, Mackenzie. I got it. Oh, so when's it coming up? Oh, it was in Orlando. God darn it. Are we sure that the, the Duncan was there? And plus, Orlando, how far is that? Because it seems like it's close to Miami, right? Where's Orlando? Is that it's, north? Yeah, it's like, a, I think, a six-hour drive. So it's one uh, hour, right? Yeah. All right. Doesn't Don't hold me to that. It's 240 miles. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily make my Are we sure they played in that game? But check that. That doesn't necessarily make my point. All right. <laughs> yeah, they all they all played against Orlando. Oh, you hear he's like <laughs> they all played <laughs> I'm done. All right. Next up. Congratulations, Mackenzie. How much did you win? <laughs> One smile. Yeah, yeah, well, there you go. Don't let anyone take your smile away. <laughs> Anything else in the well, we're gonna talk a lot of NBA next week. Yeah, that's that that's kind of the breaking news that the Clippers um yeah, not going so according to plan. Moving to the NFL. I want to focus, we got some good work here on strength of schedule, adjusted wins. And guys, listen, I don't cross promote to straight out of Vegas too often. You know, once a show usually. But this is important. So starting on Monday, this upcoming Monday, we're going to do 32 successive shows culminating in the day before kickoff. The 32 best teams in the NFL in reverse order. Now, a couple of things that make this special. We're going to do about eight minutes or so per team. So deep dive or fairly deep. But then Fez and I have a kind of simulated but, but actual betting scenario. He gets five teams at the current market Super Bowl odds. And I get five teams. And we have to cross bet each other, cross book each other for 100 bucks a team. So let's say, for example, and I'm just throwing it out, Fez likes the Steelers. Let's say Steelers are out there at 25 to 1. I have enforced to book 100 wins, 2,500 for Steve. He gets five, I get five. In theory, they could be the same teams, but it's going to be submitted before, so it's none of this. I'm going to just try to match you so I'm not exposed. Should be exciting. I mean, I think it's going to be disastrous for him, but it should be exciting. What's your thoughts, Steve? I don't think it's going to be disastrous, but I got, I got to add, my confidence is shaken. Against me. I, I've had some of the best years betting football 
at pregame that I've had my entire career. I've gotten better and better at it, I would argue. That's fair. And yet, somehow, I, I hand you an urn full of more white marbles <laughs> than black marbles. White marbles are winning selections. Black marbles are losing selections. And you look at it and you go, ha, I'll just pull out a black marble and I'll challenge Fez to that bet. Well, it brings up an interesting point. We should put together a little kind of RJ endorsed <laughs> from you because I know your flaws. And, and, and here's the thing. If you tried to reverse engineer out of them, it would screw you up. That's the thing about handicapping the handicapper. You've got to do that yourself. It's not so much tell the handicapper because then, one, how do I win? But then number two, it's like then it starts screwing up other things. Sometimes, and this is a very important life lesson, and, and I mean like maybe as important as one as I could ever share. Oftentimes, the thing that makes you great in a different context, in a different light, from a different angle, is a flaw. Let's look at Belichick. You could go through and talk about a lot of things about Belichick and say, if only he had done this and done that and been more friendly, why doesn't he, you know, you hear stories about like Edelman having two conversations with him over 60 seconds in all these years. You could say... <laughs> But maybe, in fact, likely the same things that cause those maybe unfortunate quirks are what allows him to do what he does. If it's a focus on work, whatever it is. Steve Jobs, by all accounts, a lot of peccadillos, a little unruly, a little uh, surly. Don't know that word. Peccadillo? Peccadillo. It's like a, it's a quirk. It's a quirk that maybe is a little weird. Like someone who... Uh, you could say someone who likes red women's shoes is a peccadillo. And <laughs> I'm not saying I, you. I'm not saying no, you. It applies. I like red women's shoes. <laughs> Tag that, please. <laughs> hey, the fact you can admit it is a good thing. I Listen, I appreciate anyone that says things that's... Uh, yeah, it's a small, relatively unimportant offense or sin. I'm not sure if a sin it's is a ever sin? too small. See, it's a thing. It's saying it's not like you're a murderer. It's a quirk. It's quirky. It's yeah. quirky, but it's also kind of got a tinge of like the Ill the illicit. Like quirky is eating like saltines, only saltine crackers for breakfast. But that's not a peccadillo. Mm. Peccadillo is like you in red shoes. Yeah. High heels. With black trim. <laughs> I, I don't think necessarily black trim is a pet. Oh, you mean? Okay, I got it. All right. <laughs> this guy. I mean, he gives you more than you even want. Like, you hope, and then it's like, huh. <laughs> hey, listen. That's Steve Fezzik. Okay, but we're going to focus on, so that's coming up on Straight Out of Vegas, and you can get the podcast. You can listen live, 6 Eastern, 225 stations. If you don't know the station in your area on FSR, go to foxsportsradio.com. You can find it, or it streams there, iHeartRadio app, or podcast. Just search RJ Bell. You got this one. Subscribe. It's easy enough if you haven't, and straight out of Vegas, subscribe. 40 minutes a day, jam-packed 
with good info. We're going to focus, though, on the decision for no preseason games right now. Full preview coming up next week. And also cutting from 90 roster spots to 80 right off the go. Also this acclimation period of less hitting. Mike Lombardi, friend of the show, was talking about how this was almost like the stages they missed. They're going to do the stage it would have been in the spring, stage it would have been in OTAs or whatever, and then into the actual, hey, this is what camp should be. Though that's going to be very limited. So, Fez, of all the factors here that's swirling with the NFL, where do you see the biggest being for the batter? You know, looking at week one of the NFL, and we may not agree on this, but I'm looking towards the unders. I really feel that that no, that limited acclim- – I can't even pronounce the word, but 18 practices without pads and more of a cupcake practice schedule for the NFL is really going to hurt the timing of NFL teams. And when I think about timing, I think about skill position players. I think about getting the ball down the field and how important it is for the quarterback – to have timing with his wide receivers. And, you know, look at preseason uh, games, frankly, where week one of preseason, it's ugly. The average over-under, right around 36, 37 in that week one game. And then by week three or four, you look at a total that's more like, especially week three, historically being a touchdown higher, 43, 44, as teams get their timing. Now, I know the starters play more as well, but part of the factor is how rusty teams really are and that really magnifies in that Hall of Fame game where um, you typically see a total around 34. Now, in weeks one and two of the NFL historically, you usually see totals that are a little bit lower than you do the rest of the year because the offenses are behind the defenses. And now we're looking at no preseason games, but then the word came out, you know, a lot of coaches, they actually don't like these preseason games because you got to travel the day before, you got to play the game, then you've got the day after. So you've got three almost wasted days that you could have been practicing, and it might even be more efficient to be practicing during that time. But the fact that they're not going to be hitting and they're not going to be practicing like they have in the past, I think is really going to impact the skill position offenses. All right. I generally agree skill position or or timing-based, more sophisticated offenses will suffer. What do you think about the reality that the way to become good at football is to play football and the way to tackle, for example, is the tackle, the way to learn to tackle? Yeah, and there's a reason they always emphasize all the high school coaches blocking and tackling drills, right, over and over. And and it just seems like in general you can make the case, and the old school guys talk about this, is that the amount of scoring, some of it's the sophistication of the offenses, Some of it is just the fundamentals on defense, even with a normal offseason under the new CBA or at least the prior CBA, when all these limitations started being put in effect, defensive fundamentals just went down. Now you have a super extreme. So I think if it's a finesse timing-based offense, which is going to be hurt by the lack of prep, defense is hurt by the lack of prep, Maybe that evens out. Maybe it's pro defense a little. But what I know for sure is those power-based offenses that don't need the timing as much. And I think Baltimore front and center 
right? Because if anything, you need prep time to get ready for them. They don't need prep time to get ready for you. I think the power game and the lack of fundamentals tackling, Baltimore and then Tennessee next maybe, a lot big advantage early. Yeah, I think it's a great point. The light bulb kind of went on to, for me from your idea because remember, Baltimore was already a team we were talking about. Hmm, if we're going to bet on Baltimore, probably play them early in the year because we got concerns later on the year. Lamar Jackson might get banged up. He might not run as much, and the defenses, more tape, might well be able to come up with better schemes to keep him in check. So I think all this points towards maybe we want to avoid betting against Baltimore early in the year. Or bet on them. Or bet on them, yes. It's going to be hard to find value with Baltimore just because they had that epic, historic spread. What was it? I disagree. I think more people are going to think about the failure. They're going to say, oh, Baltimore was exposed. Listen. Mm. watching like Get Up or those types of shows, which give you a good feel with the talking heads. I mean, these are the talking head shows. It was like, I couldn't believe what they said. They were like, this is today, Wednesday. They were like, well, NFC is deep. You got New Orleans, Tampa Bay, Green Bay, maybe Minnesota, Philadelphia, Dallas. I think all the – listen, Green Bay might be the one I'd say I'd be surprised, but I wouldn't be surprised if any of them make the Super Bowl, would you? No. And then they said, AFC, it's one team. It's Kansas City and everyone else. And I was like, what? Baltimore had the clearly better year. I mean, maybe pull up your power ratings from last year if – If Baltimore would have won and KC had won, as they did the first round, that game would have been in Baltimore. What would the line have been? Yeah, Baltimore would have been laying three. I don't think so. But remember, I had Kansas City power rate higher than everybody else. So then that means that the market would have had something different. Oh, that's a good point. I'm not asking what the Steve Fezzik line would have been. I was asking what the market would have been. Baltimore minus four. Yeah. So you got a team that literally would have been favored over the Super Bowl champions, you know, meaning eventual Super Bowl champions. But now they lost one game, and it's Kansas City and everyone else. I mean, that, I'm not saying everyone feels that way, but when you have experts talking that way, it's a sign of what people think. Yeah, it, it really is a great point because if Baltimore wins the Super Bowl, Baltimore's season win number is 11 and a half, and they're the number two pick to win the Super Bowl, just under 7-1, to one, they'd be the clear-cut favorite. Their season win number would be 12, and they would probably be what, plus 450? Hmm. So McKenzie, who was a ball boy with the Broncos between 2006 and 2008, he says defenders did not tackle, just wrapped up offensive players, then let them go. So your implication being that no matter what, they never tackled. So what's going to be lost here? No, that's not my implication. Just a clarification on what training camps and practices are usually like. The biggest thing is coaches don't want to get anybody hurt. So they do emphasize uh, technique. You know, they split up into their positions and they do hit the hit the uh, sleds and they do practice tackling, tackling techniques, but they don't actually tackle because they yeah, risk but, injury. But the reality is they would play four or in some cases five preseason games and the starters on defense especially played a lot of those games. Yeah, that's true. And they tackle in those games. So you yeah. could theorize that practices without preseason games, they'd want them to get those reps. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I think it's almost certain they won't get those reps. Is what what we're saying is to whatever degree, and I think it's fair to say, 
I don't know how it was in the 80s or the 90s even, but this century in general, there's not a massive amount of tackling going on in, in uh, preseason practice. During the games, they were games. And this whole thing in the last two years where starters don't play just wasn't the case, especially on defense. I mean, quarterback, whatever. The teams, by all accounts, all accounts, ball boys not necessarily were in the <laughs> feedback loop, but by all accounts, the ability to develop offensive line play has suffered because in college, they're all blocking for almost all blocking for college type offenses, mm. which they have trouble running the ball. And then you combine that with, or they don't even try to run, you combine that with the lack of time since the CBA, and oh, you see older and older old linemen. You look at the Rams this year, guys like third, <coughs> excuse me, guys like Whit, Whitworth, is that his yeah, name? Yeah, yeah. Like 39, getting massive money. Look at the age of these linemen. There's just not a lot of new linemen coming in all that good. I think we're seeing the same thing on defense. Lack of practice time, less fundamentals, less time playing in preseason. And they're playing maybe equally as well at the end of the year. It just feels like this whole idea that September is an extended preseason has just started, and people remember New England never tended to start slow. And then when the new CBA happened, New England started slower. And it's because Belichick understood there's different things you need to do in September, even if it hurts you a little bit in September. And I think it's such a great point about the old linemen because we were talking about running backs that, you know, they peak what at age 25 and a half now, and yet old linemen. Well into their 30s, right? It seems, it seems older than it used to be. I'll yeah. tell you that much. All right. What else you got? Um, I think the 90 to 80 is about, you know, almost a third of the players in the NFL right now were undrafted. Now, if you are cutting 10 from 90 to 80, even before, th- you know, you're not cutting them. You're just not including them. It feels like something that a good number of those players would have made a team. I think Mike Lombardi estimated 10 or so of, you know, across the league. They won't. Now, will they be available for next year? Hopefully they keep trying. I think all of this is pretty much saying the stuff we do to get good, we don't have the stomach for we don't want to take the risk for so we're going to accept the fact it's almost like someone says i'm going to go take my sat but i'm not going to prep for it because prepping for it's dangerous and it's like okay if there's a chance of prepping for it prevents you from taking the sat maybe that's smart but undoubtedly it's going to hurt your sat score they're pretty much saying the prep for playing football is too dangerous with covid that's we're not really going to prep but let's play because that's when we get paid. I'm fine with it. We just got to figure out how to exploit it. How do we make money from it? Closing thoughts, Fred. You know, one team, and maybe we'll talk about them in a little bit, the Minnesota Vikings, they had a record number of draft picks. So they had 15 picks in seven rounds. And the more I'm thinking about this, wow, those guys, maybe they might have been ready with some preseason experience and some extra practice I can't see how those guys are going to be ready in September. How about your excitement about Carolina? 
All the defensive oh, players. Oh, yeah, nothing but defense, yes. I mean, Lord, they got to be good on defense, right? Uh, maybe not so much. <laughs> How obviously, and this is even the other shows like ours, will say, okay, continuity matters, experience matters. I think generally that's true. The question is going to be, you know, there's been a debate. Is it you want... Uh, an experienced coach or do you want a really smart coach? Would you rather have uh, a McVay or would you rather have, you know, let's pick a random kind of Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy's not struck as a, strikes anyone as a brilliant coach, but he's certainly experienced. Mm -hmm. McVay not experienced, but brilliant. I think whenever the variables increase, talent wins out. And to me, talent is, you know, in, you know, football intelligence in this you case. You want a really smart guy. You want a guy that can figure out how to adjust for these variables. Because yeah, the guy's got 20 years of experience. How's that going to help him this, in a year that's different than any other? Except if you're smart, you're, you can pattern match. You know, like with Belichick, when he went against the, um, uh, the Wildcat, it was like, oh, this is like the single wing, and Maslin ran it back, and... So, you know, being able to call back to history has its advantages. It's just you can't be a, in a rut with it. That's the funny thing. Belichick is probably as much of a historian of the game as any coach today. If, in fact, more, I think. But he never looks at it as something that's sacrosanct, that, that can't be changed, but rather as history to consider. Usually people that are, have a historical perspective are stuck in a rut, or they are like, screw the past, I'm looking forward. To look in the past and not over-rely upon it is, a, you know, is, is why Belichick's one of the reasons Belichick is Belichick. Zimmer today, by the way, you were talking about Minnesota, looks like they're finalizing their big extension for him. They're saying it's going to take a while to get these rookies going. <laughs> All right, so next week, as we said, on Straight Out of Vegas, check it out. We'll be doing some of it here, probably playing some of the best stuff here, but we won't be able to play all of it. All right, Feds, before best bets, this is the time. Oh, strength what? of schedule, NFL? We're going to wait for that. Oh, we're going to wait. Okay. Yeah, because uh, correct me if I'm wrong, does anything change with that between this week and next week? No, it doesn't, RJ. Yeah, so we just wanted to have our 1 to 32 adjusted for Monday, and that's the reason, we, and you guys will get to hear all the details we won't even do on the radio but the theory is we were stacking the win total and saying, hey, that's representative of how good these teams are. But then it's like, well, wait a minute. Strength of schedule is pretty significant. It's not fully representative. So Steve had a good approach to abstract out, to remove the strength of schedule, then to have like net of strength of schedule win total, which really represents a great over or not over under, but a stack ranking of teams 1 to 32. So then we're going to compare that number to Steve's number. Should be interesting. Okay, WNBA. All right, WNBA. Typically in the WNBA, teams play 34 games. So big format change, only 22 games. The WNBA has their own bubble this year, RJ. Bradenton, Florida. And apparently the accommodations are not nearly as nice as they are 
in Disney what World. What do you mean? Doesn't Title IX dictate that? Uh, apparently, Title IX does not apply to professional sports. Uh, Bradenton's a little bit south of Tampa, about 20 miles away. And very interesting season with only 22 games for the WNBA. And more than any league, I am seeing such a turn uh, turnaround in the players, specifically the top teams that were good last year, not necessarily going to be good this year. It is extremely con- competitive in the WNBA this year. And frankly, I, the odds makers just don't appear to be paying much attention to the changes that are occurring. So they're looking at the, what the, the results were last year, and they installed the favorites in their season wins and their futures odds pretty much parallel to how well teams did last year. But a whole lot of those teams that did very well so last give me, year. So give me a few examples, like two examples of major changes. Yeah, so the Washington Mystics won it all. They were a great team last year. They were 26-8. and eight. And they lost two starters, but they picked up um, one of New York Liberty's best players, Tina Charles. Well, Tina Charles has asthma, and she's not going to play. She got medically exempt. So she's not going to help with those offset those two players lost. But really the key, Elena Deladon is... Uh, Giannis on steroids. She's clearly the best. Better, better than Giannis. She's better than Giannis. She's so important to Guy that team. Guy nice umpo. <laughs> Maya Moore was a really good player. She sat out the last couple of years. Since Maya Moore has been sitting out, Elena Deladon is the league, but she has Lyme disease. Why doesn't Milwaukee pick her up? <laughs> you no, know, she could probably play on the bench. Um, but um, she apparently she takes 60 pills a day. So she filed for medical exemption not to play. And the doctor. I think Bernard King was at 60. Oh, wait, never mind. God, it was different. A different type of pills. <laughs> they turned her down. The medical people did. And the mystics were like, they couldn't believe it. So the mystics are going to pay her, but it looks like 90% she's not going to play this year. And without her and without these other pieces, the mystics season win number, there's only 22 games. And what's her name again? Elena Deladon. EDD is her nickname. But her name is? Deladon is her Guy last nice name. Guy Umpo. Okay, I, I just hard to imagine she's better than the Greek freak, but hey. She's a, I, you're an expert. I mean, listen. She's 6'5", and she can handle the ball, and she's a great shooter. Let's see how long it takes Faz to tell us his record in, since he's been doing WNBA. 36 and 19. That was quick. Let's see how long it takes him to tell us his win percentage. 65. <laughs> Final answer. If only, if only you knew... Everything with such vigor. If you, if you had such a passion to sear it into your brain. But listen, guys, there's a rhyme and reason to this. One, Fez loves leagues he can exploit. This feels very analogous to the XFL, which you are lifetime undefeated. Yes. And will always be. It's gone forever. No, we gotta, isn't there talk that like they're going to maybe bring it back? Maybe? Like tears in the rain or something. Whatever Blade that runner, quote is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's gone. It's all gone. Now, why does he exploit these kind of leagues? Because the biggest betters, the big syndicates, 100 dimes a game types, they don't play these leagues. So what are the WNBA limits? $500 in most books. So around, but in like Vegas, how many different, like all books will probably take a nickel yeah, one? Yeah, nickel is pretty much standard across the board. So what ends up happening is if you are looking to get down four or five dimes, if you work hard, you can get them down. 
if you're a syndicate, you're thinking, wait a minute, we're betting 100. What's the point? It's like the analogy is a one-two game if you're playing no limit in Vegas. One-twos are going to have people that come in from, you know, Idaho, whatever. Like, I want to try this. I've been doing good in my home game. One-two. Now, Doyle or, you know, Superstar XYZ, they're walking right by that one-two, hoping their sushi is getting wheeled in with the silver tray on, you know, the big thing on top doesn't get even breathed on by those one-two people. <laughs> they're going in the back, playing 4-8, you know, 4-8K, mostly limit games. And you know what? They're playing against the best players. Now, Durr or whomever could come out and play in the one-two, it's just not worth his time, even though the play's worse. Here, though, though Steve Watt times bet more than that $5,000 on various other things, 5000 is close enough to his bet that, hey, why not play in the one-two game pretty much? Is that the fair way to say it? Very much so. And, you know, it is very rare that I would say there's any NFL bet that I could make that's, like, better than 60% on a side. Well, I, first of all, I think there's never a time that's better than 60%. Yeah, it's, it, it would be so Never. Rare. Never. But you look at, like, this Washington Mystics season win number, which was at a couple books, not many, and this is, like, a bonus play if you can find it. It opened up 15 and a half. RJ, I don't think, I don't think Washington's going to win 12 games this year. I don't think they're a 500 team. And for it to have opened 15 and a half, it's just, it just shows how much less efficient the WNBA is than the NBA. And history tells us, what's your record? 65%, 36, and 19. Okay. I believe this one is even more... Mm, I, think there, I think this season's even more of a value offering simply because there's more variables. And Steve makes a great point, and this is strong. All the other sports are going to be going on. So this runs from when to when, the regular season? It's starting July 25th. So, so this Saturday? This Saturday concludes. No lines up yet, by the way. So a sign the bookmakers a little scared to put the, stick their neck out on it, but they'll put it up, I'm sure, the day before. Well, yeah, I mean, there's no debate they're going to put up the lines. September 12th, the regular season. I do think you bring up a good point. I mean, first of all, with all the season wins and all that, obviously they're putting it up. But the fact is, and I think he's right, is the first game's not being up even on Wednesday. It's like, it's like that third homework assignment you have. It's like, oh, I got to do that too back in school. Well, perfect, because you still – you still can take make the bets. And if you are betting more than a nickel a game, it means you probably have more than one out, hopefully. And thus, for a vast majority of you, you're going to get your full crack at it, but you're going to be playing one, two, instead of playing with Doyle and Durr and whomever at the big game, which is NFL sides. Now, you've got a, a, a Doyle type on your side with the NFL sides with Fez, here, though, you got that same guy playing one, two. Isn't as exciting. But I also believe if you think about baseball going on, bat NBA going on, and then NFL going on, the amount of energy they're going to have for this, where usually it's a lot of this is in July, right, in the typical season, mm. and it's a nice little, hey, nothing's going on, but it means they got more energy than bookmakers do. They don't have as much time and energy now. I would say this, the odds are good. I don't know. 
I mean, are the odds what seventy five percent that you win money over the course of this? What do you think? What would your estimate be? Wow, I seventy five percent's aggressive, but it would be a, above two thirds. So it, here's the question: Is do you think it's going to have enjoyment? If it is, then obviously, if it's positive EV and enjoyable, it's a no brainer. Even if it doesn't, like it's like, oh, it's going to be a job, kind of. Well, you're betting 500 a crack. You have a almost, you know, two thirds chance to win money. You're not going to get a better bet. And we, you know, hey, listen, you listen to this, you don't, you know, I'm not one to tout. This is worth touting because it's such a, a good profit opportunity, no doubt about it. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a 20% discount. You can use this 20% for this package. Now, the kind of the retail price, whatever, it's kind of like price we don't charge, but it's 300 bucks. It's cut, and it's for all the picks, all the way through the finals. It's already cut to 149 you know, cut in half or so. 20% on top of that. So 30 more bucks are being saved. Getting it all for like 120 It's absurd. But this is kind of like a lost leader for us. You know how they sell Pepsi for 89 cents for two liters or whatever? It's like this. Here's the code. It's going to be, hmm, I'm going to make it up right now. What should it be? Something about Fez and women. Um, something about no date but wins money. No, no. I don't know. We'll keep it simple. You got one? I thought you were going to go red shoes or black That's shoes. it. That's it. Red shoes 20. All one word. All caps. Red shoes 20. The 20 is the number. 20 is the 20%. Yes. Exactly. So, R E D S H O E S 20 will save you 20%. Now you can use it. I don't think any of these WNBA ladies necessarily wear red high heel shoes, but maybe they do. I just want him to hit jumpers when you, you know, when you pick them. But I think he's right. You look at some of the lack of adjustments being made with obvious things. It's like, wow, they're asleep at the wheel. But here's what you need to know. Oftentimes with these bets, they are accepting of putting up the rote lines, kind of like this is the default based on no work. And then at only a nickel a shot, let the sharps kind of correct them for us. And if you look at your release schedule, I think it's ideal. So, and it's easy to remember. Nine o'clock at night. Now, is that Eastern time or Pacific? Pacific. Yeah, I, oh, that's kind of late, huh? Could you go to eight? I can go to eight. Because, I mean, when are they up? Because the theory is you're going to try to catch the overnights when the value's there and then the next morning. Um, but when do they typically put them they up? usually come up in the late afternoon. Okay, yeah. So yeah. why would you make it midnight Eastern? Eight it is. No wonder you need me so much. I Ooh. do need you. Oof. Oof. Peace and love. Peace and love. Yeah, I got to remember. All right. So we're going to go 8 o'clock Pacific. And then it feels like just motivate yourself to get your, you know, but really in the morning, though, they don't open till 8. You just got to go 9, I think. I, I like 8. We but why don't we go 8.30? You got Because correct me if I'm wrong, a lot of these local shops don't start opening up until 8, right? Yeah. Yes. So give them a half hour to open. Yeah. So this is perfect. 8 o'clock Pacific, 11 o'clock Eastern, overnight. So before you go to bed, you got to check in. 
And then you don't need a check-in. It's just you have a chance to get even a better number. Next day in the morning, 8.30 a.m. Pacific, 11.30 a.m. So right before lunch, if you're on the East Coast. And that's it. That's it for the day. And you're expecting about as many games during this shortened season as you've typically, typically had. Because one, even if college football goes, there's not going to be the out-of-conference most likely for anyone or hardly anyone. And you're going to be spending that time doing WNBA. Exactly right. So I can pour extra hours into the WNBA in August that typically I did not have available. And to me, that even reinforces the value. So red shoes 20, of course, I can't believe I didn't see that. And that's good for 20% off anything Fez has up. And that will be through this weekend. So you want to grab up his, uh, And remember, this is applicable to multiple packages. So the smart player here that's a Fez fan says, okay, I'm going to grab his three win totals, right? He was dumb enough to put him up for 25, F him. Grab those. I'm going to get that big game that night, so four picks. And I'm going to get like 30 WNBA picks, and you're going to get 20% off Red Shoes 20, all of them, so for like less than 150 bucks, Steve, you might have to rent out some of that extra space you've got <laughs> with this kind of pricing. And people might think I'm kidding. I'm telling you, this is a source of real consternation. Red Shoes 20 ends on Sunday. Let's do best bets. Don't know about the future. That's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. Fire up your pad and pencil. Give you a piece of my mind. You notice, Faz, when you make a mistake in pricing, instead of me trying to cover it up, I try to bludgeon you with it. I want to get as many people taking advantage so you feel the pain of that. Go, best bet. <laughs> All right, we talked about Blue Jays under 27 season wins. RJ, I am shocked that the market has not reacted more to the news that the Blue Jays have no place to play their home games Pittsburgh went ahead and said, we don't want you. Earlier, Canada said, they don't want you. You bring up the great point that a demoralized Blue Jay team, this could impact them early in the year, but it could really impact them late in the year once they're out of the playoff hunt. I think you need to make a good, at least a two-game adjustment, and the market is only adjusted by half a game right now. Let's lock it in now. Blue Jays, under 27 wins. But couldn't this potentially be that it brings the team together? I mean, I can think of one thing. Bad news bears playing at the Astrodome kind of thing. Supposed to be four innings. What do you what do you think? I guess in theory you could get like in the movie Major Leagues when they got so angry at the owner they all bonded together when there was no hot water. Good luck with that. Exactly. I think Good we're luck. coming together as a team, boys. But no, you're not worried about it. Not worried. All right. I agree with you. I think that um, this is a good example that, that we don't think, betters don't think, no one does, these players as humans because in some ways they are superhuman physically but they're superhumanly entitled to if anything this generation and i don't think they're gonna want the feel you know quite frankly of what they're gonna have which is of 
uh, you know, almost like the WNBA complaining about accommodations. <laughs> I mean, they're going to be treated like a like this is worse than a double A team. I mean, a double A team at least has a home. Yeah. Can you imagine getting your routine, your workout in when you're like going from Marriott to Marriott? <laughs> Listen to you like looking your nose down at Marriott. Lordy B. I mean, that just wraps up. The, I mean, that just closes the circle. Started that way, ending that way. We actually have two more free best bets for you. Diamond Dave Esler, who let me tell you, he looks like Uncle Dave. He bets like Diamond Dave. He's been emailing me a lot during the break. Just different takes. He's been following things. He's been chomping at the bit. I mean, he's a little older, so he doesn't know how many. What? Diamond Dave picked the winner. The winner of not the golf tournament at the Memorial, but not just the Memorial, but the tournament before the Memorial. He's 2-0 and picking the winner, including a 30-to-1 underdog. And how many, how, many, how many different golfers did he have? I don't know. I mean, he's not the type to have many. It wasn't many. He might have won. Listen, when you look like he looks and they call you Diamond Dave, and what I, what I mean is he looks like a retired accountant, not like Ben Affleck accountant, a retired accountant. And he's like a – I mean, it's so funny when he comes to Vegas too because he walks in, he's kind of – his shoulder's a little slumped, but he, he doesn't back – he's like a – he's like – you ever see like those movies where they have like a – bare knuckles fighters and there's always this one who's kind of thin and and he can take a punch and almost like uh, what was that movie Woody Harrelson was in and he was like shooting speed and they were having bare knuckle fighting oh oh look at this up Mackenzie it was the one with the dude it was like sent in Pennsylvania and it was the dude who was Batman like in the Christopher Nolan version and it was something, not beyond the pines, but something. Give me a look. Give, give me a rundown of that dude. Like, it's probably six to seven years ago. Out of the Furnace in 2013? Yes. Out of the Furnace. You ever see that? Never heard of it. It was pretty good. It was pretty good. But it was about the, his brother wanted to get involved in, like, fight to the death type that was up in the hills. And Woody Harrelson was, like, the guy that was, like, the, you know, like the organized crime boss up there, you know. Let's just tell you, I, I'm not saying Dave Esther ever fought in those. I'm saying he looks like a retired one of those dudes when he perks up <laughs> in Vegas. Because he hates that because he's in Florida that people don't think he's sharp. But what I respect is a lot of people in that situation would then emulate the sharps. See, that's what you get when a new guy comes to town you know, they were the sharpest guy in Cleveland or whatever, and they come to town and it's like, oh, I'm sharp. They're afraid to go against the sharps. And it's like a lot of these sharps that you're meeting are like the bottom of the barrel sharps that, you know, like I often, my best bets are like these are the fake sharp games because all those types, you know, they got the trends from 1980 and whatever. It's like this line's moved. You know, it's all about the line. It's a home underdog. Yeah, and listen, a lot of those, you can't get too far wrong with those approaches, but you also, it's hard to get too right with them anymore because they're so commonly known. And sometimes it goes too far the other way. Dave, to me, we're going to put a package together because I think like you and Dave, 
Faz, is like gold because you, let's be candid, if you've got any one of your weaknesses, and I know a few, one of them is you won't go against convention. Like, yes. And sometimes you figure, hey, this baby is 53.5%, and you're going to play it, and you're going to play enough volume that you're going to win. And I think you're right. But if you take the worst third of those games, those aren't necessarily winners. Maybe they're 51 and a half. You blend them all together, you're going to win with them. But it'd be nice to be able to pluck out the third worst. That's what Diamond Dave does because he looks, he's always looking to fade the wannabe wise guys. And some of your last plays are going to be in that group and he's able to pluck them out. So by us having a combo package, it lets it be where you guys, if you are on the same side, take off the rubber band because you're coming at it from two different directions and you both are arriving yeah, at the same place. Yeah, completely independently. I love that. It's true. And then maybe we roll in the hint man because his trend or his uh, NFL stuff is gold. I mean, this is uh, interesting. We're going to do some fun stuff. None of it really interferes with the WNBA because there's one guy that does that well. We know, and it's Steve. Red Shoes 20, Red Shoes 20, pregame.com, Steve Fezzik. But now, Diamond Dave. MLB Friday night, I love, and I bet, the Oakland A's minus 140 over the Angels. First, we have to talk about the pandemic. While there's not going to be fans, I think that's negated early on with the road teams having to travel outside their comfort zone. It's already been talked about by some of the leading players in the league. Speaking of comfort zone, and we can't completely disregard 2019, the A's were the most profitable team last season and the second most profitable the year before, or a combined 43 games over 500. Last year, the Angels, sixth least profitable road team. Angels have never beaten Frankie Montas, the A's starter. 96 innings last year, struck out 103, whip a 1.10. That's Cy Young stuff. The Angels used 19 starters last season, had one of the worst bullpens in the league, and they haven't done anything to upgrade it. By contrast, at home last year, the A's pen was one of the best, and their closer, Liam Hendricks, is legit. The Angels were outscored last year by 99 runs. 99. While Oakland outscored opponents by 161. With all the Trout talk about his baby, is he going to play? Is that a distraction? Rendon possibly not playing? It's cheap to take the better team and at home. Oakland minus 140 over the Angels. Friday in baseball, firing already. Lane the lumber, not like a sharp in theory. Now, NFL, we got a player receiving prop from the hitman. He has translucent skin. He's a Jersey school teacher. Does he still teach? I don't think so. You don't really know or care, do you? Just so you can keep <laughs> exploiting him. Based upon the number of texts he's sending me, I don't think so. Is that? Are you saying you'd wish he sent less? No. Mm-hmm. Let's listen. Best bet, Justin Jefferson under 775 receiving yards. Stop me if you heard me say this before, but we are betting again against another rookie wide receiver this upcoming season. And I like fading rookie wideouts even more since we just found out that there will be no preseason this year. Wide receivers typically have one of the hardest first-year transitions from college to the pros, and there isn't many targets to be had for Minnesota as the Vikings had the third highest run rate in the league last year. 775 is just too high of a number, and I like it all the way down to 700. 
Okay, listen, I, I will say this honestly to close. The Hitman was like, you know, there's a good many. And if anyone out there wants to do it, it's not easy. Mackenzie will tell you. You can get through to me. It just, you got to send like 40 emails over like a year to show that you care. Anyone can send one email or 10. Keep sending it and include content. And finally, one day I'll be bored and I'll look at it. And if it's good, I'll probably wait for 10 more emails. Look at it again. I will hardly remember I looked at it the first time. But by some confluence, it might happen. Like Charlie Sheen meeting Gordon Gecko. Yes. You got the yes. scars? That actually sounds good, except, yeah, I wish. When does it all end, huh? How many yachts can you water ski behind? How much is enough? More. That's what Steve says, more. No one's moving in. All right, any closing thought, Hollywood? Not a one. Great show, guys. You're thinking this one actually didn't take four hours. I, I Structurally very sound. <laughs> Thank you. Mackenzie. Excellent show, guys. Probably be part of it. Just think where just think where I would be if only Hollywood had been here the whole time. <laughs> I mean, who knows what kind of success? Ponder that. Talk to you next week.